And Passover is the moment in their Jewish calendar, and it's to be celebrated in only a few weeks' time, is when they remember the liberation from Egypt, when the Israelite people, the Jewish people, became a nation. I mean, their ancestors had dwelt down in the south in Egypt, and they had been growing into a huge number. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had oppressed them and pushed them into slavery. And so under that violent oppression, the Passover remembers the time in which Moses liberated them and God kind of expelled them from Egypt and they became a people. Slavery was broken, free from bondage. And so what other better time in the mind of a Jewish person for Jesus to become king and liberate them from the tyranny of Rome than Passover? If you were a Jewish person, you would have grown up with the poets and the prophets informing you about what was to come, that someone was to come like a liberator. You had two images in your mind. The first one was a a crown, because one of the poets in the Psalms had said, he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And he was talking about someone who would come, like a figure, a leader, a king. And so this was stirring at the forefront of their minds. The second image would have been that of a servant that they got from their prophets 500 years before. Isaiah had talked about a servant that would come. And so they had these two images, a servant and a king, but certainly not a suffering servant king, even though he had said of this servant, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And they couldn't see it because they were edging their way to Jerusalem. And the mama of James and John sees this, and so everything's speeding up, and they're thinking, now is the time. And so if we're going to get in and make the ask, we need to do it now. I wonder if you've ever met someone who just kind of likes the competition and it keeps going. I wonder if you've ever been caught up in that quickening speed before. If I don't get in, someone will miss out. The housing market's going, got to get in. Yeah. Some years ago when my wife and I, we were studying at a university over in Portland, Oregon, uh, we met a couple and they used to look after rangers stations. And so in, in one Christmas time, they said to us, why don't you come and join us in a ranger station in the border of Oregon and Idaho? Right down there, in, in, it's called Hell's Canyon on the Snake River. Sounds beautiful and dark, doesn't it? It's where we were. And one particular day, he said um, he loved the environment, the outdoors. And I thought I was kind of competitive at that stage, but he was like tenfold me competitive. He said, how about we go looking for elk? We're going to take cameras. We're going to go up under the hillsides, up into the snow line and hunt for elk with our cameras, take photographs. That sounds great. And we started walking, and I didn't realize that he was one of these guys who had to be in front. Have you ever met someone who must be in front? It was comical, really. Because I started walking, and I just, like, a step in front, and he had to get in front. It's so much so that I actually turned to Bron, because it was just the three of us. And I said, honey, watch this. This is going to be fun, right? (laughs) For the next 10 hours, (laughs) we walked I mean, it was the sun was going down when we were still ankle deep in snow looking for elk. When I said to him, mate, we have got to get off this mountain. This is wilderness here. And the sun is going down. We are in the snow. We're going to walk back. I mean, that's how. Have you ever met someone like that? Just got to be in front. And this is exactly what's happening amongst the disciples. Jerusalem is coming. Passover is there. Crown and cloth. The cloth of a servant. The crown of a king. And, his, and so she asks. 
the ask. It's harmless, isn't it? It doesn't hurt anyone. It's getting warm in here. Could someone hit the button? That'd be great. And, and so, and we're going to get cold right now, okay? It's going to get really cold. It was a cold journey to Jerusalem. And then, and so they make the ask. And so Jesus asks them back his own question. He says, you don't know what you're asking for, said Jesus. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Now, they have no idea what he is talking about. They think a goblet. Kings have goblets. We can drink the goblet of the king with him. Marvelous. You see, but the goblet that Jesus is talking about is a different symbol, is a different goblet. 500 years before, another suffering prophet by the name of Jeremiah had taken a goblet and God had said to him, go to my people and tell them, this is the goblet of my calling to you account for the way in which you have lived. You are supposed to be the people of light, but you have come the people of darkness. I mean, you are self-interested and arrogant and so proud. You do not defend the orphan. You do not look after the weak. You are ruthless and violent towards other people. You should have been shining my life and my love and my mercy and my rightness and my grace. But all you give off is darkness. So God says to that prophet Jeremiah, the suffering one, fill up a cup, a goblet with wine and go and offer it to the people and tell them, drink it. Drink all of it. Drink it to the full. All of your violence and all of your arrogance and all of your pride. You have prostituted yourself to all the other gods and goddesses. So drink it. And I have warned you and warned you and warned you. And now I'm calling you to account. That's the goblet Jesus was talking about. Are you able to drink that goblet? Because in a few days time, he would hang on a cross and he would drink that goblet and he would pour it down every last dreg all of the wrong and the pride and the violence every last drop and he says to them can you drink the cup of my father's anger about the way human beings treat human beings so poorly and they say in their naivety. Yes, we can. And Jesus says, you actually, the places on my left and right have already been decided. But you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink, referring perhaps to the kind of death that they might die as well for following him. But he makes the ask of them and they naively say, we can. And so then when the other disciples find out about this, they are just furious, you could imagine. They're so furious because they didn't get in first. <laughs> Whether it's James and John asking their mother or their mother dragging their kids along and asking, either way, they're kind of jealous and this ripples through the entire camp. And so Jesus, he huddles them together. He gathers them all, just, just knowing the discord and the, the opportunism that's kind of rippling throughout the camp. And he says this to them, you know how it is with the pagan rulers, you know the ones who dress in fine cloth that rule and govern people, they lord it over their subjects, 
They got all high and mighty and let everybody know about it. But that's not how it is to be with you. If any of you wants to be great, he must be your servant. And if any of you wants to be first, he must be slave of all. He says, you don't understand me entirely. He says, not so among you. He says, the kingdoms of the earth operate like this. But if you want to actually know what I'm on about, I flip it upside down. And I want you to know that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, if you want to be great in God's life, if you want to know how you are meant to be as a fully human person, come as the servant, not as the one who lords it over everybody else. You know, that kind of pride, that simple request of the mother, isn't just a harmless ask. Doesn't it touch the deepest chord and resonate with our human hearts? The pride of power, the pride of prestige, wanting to get above. You know, that's what it does. You know, pride straps its boots on and wears high heels. That's what pride does. You see it all the time, don't you? See, because pride elevates you above everyone else. It looks down its nose and starts to assess and measure and judge people according to a hierarchy and rank that you've decided. You know this, don't you? Pride straps on its boots and its high heels and its struts. And it starts to treat other people differently to what it would treat itself. It expects and demands. And it kind of has a way of weaving itself in. And, and, and it finds and locates the, the cracks in our character. And it kind of forces them apart. So it becomes more apparent. <laughs> Pride straps boots on and wears high heels, all right. Because it, it, it thinks it's better than. And people can become a stepping stone so you can get up high. You know this. And left untapped and unchecked, it, it, it blinds us. Some years ago when I was at university, I worked at the Hyde-On Collins in Melbourne. I was one of those humble little bellboys. Blue uniform. can't remember if we wore a hat. I used, to, I used to carry bags and park cars. There was another guy that was employed with me at the same time. Let's call him Nick. Nick drove a Monaro and had fluffy dice hanging on his. And Nick, and Nick strutted. He, he, he wore high heels and boots, if you like. And you could tell when we were hired, he was kind of like, this guy was going to make his way to the top and, and he doesn't matter who he would stand, he would just... And so he would assess people. Anyone coming in, open the door and there'd be a comment. Park a car and there'd be this... Years afterwards, when I left, I, I met one of the managers there at the, at the desk. And he said, oh, you should have heard the story about Nick. I, I said, what? He goes, Nick made it to be the top dog chauffeur of the Hyde on Collins. He would have loved that, driving the limousine, special place, you know, beautiful. I said, yeah, what happened? He goes, one day, he took the owner of the Hyde on Collins, the owner, to pick up the special guests to go to the horse races. So he drove them there. Magnificent. I said, what happened next? He goes, well, on the way home, they were in a line in a queue, and that wasn't Nick's deal because he had the boots and the high, and he didn't want anyone waiting, his special guests, and so he just jumped the queue and passed everyone else. 
So, but then there was a police officer and didn't like him jumping the clue, so, queue, so he actually just pulled him to the side. <laughs> I said, well, he goes, the police officer looks in the window of the limousine and goes, I know you, don't I? To Nick. I ticketed you a few months ago. You've lost your license. <laughs> and right there on the spot, he issued him a spot fine, pulled his license from him a second time, I guess, and made him go and sit in the back of the limousine and the owner of the hide on Collins sit in the front and drive him back to his hotel. Wow. Nick didn't have a job after that. But see, that's what pride does, does it not? It blinds us to the realities, makes us indifferent to the consequences. It struts on its boots and it walks in high heels and it finds us out. And this is exactly what the ask was. Their mother was requesting for James and John. Jesus says this to them says it powerfully. That's how it is with the Son of Man. He didn't come to have servants obey him, but to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in a few days' time, Jesus was going to take that cup. Knowing the pride and arrogance and indifference in this world, he was going to take that cup and he was going to drink it all. Hanging on a cross so that he could defeat the powers of pride and indifference and arrogance and sin and evil and darkness and liberate people so that they might discover the life and the love of a God who pours their, his love and life in them and washes them clean and breaks them from the slavery that so entraps us all too easily. Harmless little request, wasn't it? Just an ask. No, no. See, on the cross, Jesus was going to guzzle down all of the fear and violence that's happening in Syria right now. He was going to guzzle down all of the, the indifference and the harm from a reckless driver who had put his car onto a sidewalk, a footpath, and plow through people. He was going to, to drink down all of the, the wrong and the evil and the darkness of the way people are indifferent towards one another and can strut their stuff as though people don't matter made in the image of God and he would drink down even to the last measure a simple request that touches the pride and the arrogance of the human heart all the way down every last drop until he might say, it's finished and it's done. Every last bit. So that you might be free. And that I might be free. To know God. And to follow Jesus. And to bring in a kingdom. That can transform this world. When the human heart. Is changed. So how are you doing. With the power. Of prestige. And pride. How are you doing with that one today? How does it sit with you? Is it finding us out? Let me flip side it. 
the other way around. How are you doing with walking with humility these days? Does it come naturally? It doesn't usually. See, Jesus has a remedy for dealing with the power of that. And it comes at a cross. And it meets at a crossroads of our lives. How are you doing with the power of pride? Has it got its grip on you? How do you know? You start thinking about what's beneath you that you won't do, that you expect others to. You start to judge other people in your mind and you critique them according to your scale and your measure about who measures up and who doesn't, all so easily. You start to have a critical spirit. Or even when you know you're wrong, you won't admit it because you're just stubborn of heart. And Jesus wants to transform it. How are we doing with pride? Because Jesus came to set us free. He said, I don't think like that. My father doesn't think like that. And if you want to be in my kingdom and you want to live my life... You can't get in. You can't be part of it unless you deal with the power of pride that wants to step on other people just so you get ahead. Band's going to come in a moment. They're going to sing a song that's going to create some space for us about these very things. But Jesus said these things. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It seems as though Jesus believed that in order to live and deal with that thing called the power of pride, that you needed to have a death taken place within you almost every day. And so the power of the Bible, the passage of these words says this, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. You see, the way in which you walk with Jesus on this road, the way in which his life becomes part of yours, the way in which he transforms the human heart is that when someone reaches a point where they say, I'm caught up in that. And the only thing I can do is defeat it by bending my knee and humbling myself and saying, Jesus, thank you for who you are. Now would you come alive and dwell within me? He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is who he says he is, his Lord and King. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then his life will come alive in you. Equally so. He said, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. Will forgive it and open up a new life to be alive in you. Friends, how are we doing with the pride thing? <laughs> are we strutting our stuff? Have we hitched the high heels on and boots? I wonder if now would be the perfect time in light of Easter to take them off. God's life come and dwell. 
I was speaking with the CEO of a major kind of corporation that deals with millions of dollars last week. He said, I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, but I'm just starting to get this stuff about his life. He said, I'm realizing as a CEO, if I want to make a mark for him and allow him to shine through, that it's got to be less about me and more about him. So as Cindy sings in a moment, I'm just going to leave this slide up here. And I wonder if you might just posture yourself for a moment. Maybe it's just opening up your hands like this or closing your eyes. Maybe just pausing and praying. Saying, Jesus, would you deal with me? Would you help me? I want to humble myself. And I ask that more of your life might be in me. As you do so, there might be certain things that he, he nudges, he puts his thumb on, that you might want to just simply pray back, God, by your spirit, would you work in me? Help me to bend my knee. Because he says when you do, he gives his grace, his love, his power to accomplish things in our lives that we could not accomplish ourselves. Why don't you meet him now at the crossroads?